Hi, and welcome to the 24th episode of Keen Minds. I'm Jen, a.k.a. Takata Saiko. And I am Tessa. I know it's still me, but I have a horrible cold, so I'm going to sound very different. Excuse the nasal, and uh, probably I won't be doing very long sentences either, because I don't have a lot of breath. Of course, I I will talk. Heaven knows that I do talk a lot. (laughs) (laughs) This is a good one for you to do. Oh, well. (laughs) Oh, darn. Jen gets to talk. (laughs) Sorry, guys. And here we're we're covering uh, the second episode of Redemption, um, Kevin Jensen. And I honestly, I had the weirdest reaction to this. I liked it last night. But I didn't really, really like it until my second round through. I don't know if I just picked up on more things the second round through, if I was just tired last night. I don't really know. But I liked it a lot better the second on my rewatch. I've had several things like that happen to me with a few of the blacklist. Um, it happened when um, Alistair Pitt, because it was such a condensed show, there was so much in it that it just, the first time I, I watched it, I hated it. And then I did a second rewatch and a third rewatch. And by the third rewatch, I'm like, oh, I really liked it. It's just a lot of it. And I, I think sometimes when you're expecting something different and you expect heavy mythology, you get like, where, where was it? And you kind, of, you kind of go expecting something and it's not exactly what you get. And I, I think that's definitely an issue that I had with it was that, and we can talk about this in you know later in the podcast, but I expected you know for us to get a lot of mythology with each episode, and so and we we really didn't get a lot with it, and th- there was some, but we we didn't get at least as we know now. We may come back later and go, oh my gosh, we got so much and we didn't know it, kind of like Kate May in the Blacklist, you know, all mm-hmm. the things that we didn't know we were getting at the time. Exactly. And I mean that's always a possibility and it would be right up right up the blacklist Sally to do that. But coming out of the episode last night, I didn't feel like we got a lot of mythology there. And I'm going, but you don't understand. I didn't get Tom and his dad. I didn't get any mythology. I I, I want these things. <laughs> these are things I want from my show. <laughs> See, I got immediately the uh, the little birthday uh, party for Kevin, and I'm like, oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm good. It wasn't very evident, but it was good. Well, let's just start out with the mythology, and then we'll go into the characters, because mm-hmm. that, that is such a huge thing with the Blacklist, and I know... I know that the writers and a lot of the actors and various sundry people have been saying, we're going to keep the mythology separate. Redemption can stand alone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I just, two episodes in, I don't believe you guys. I'm sorry. sorry I'm not, me neither. I'm not calling you a liar. I'm just saying that these are the people that created Raymond Reddington and Red Speaks. So there's probably a loophole in there somewhere that you guys Yeah, have. separate doesn't mean they don't share that. They may mean that they go in different ways and, you know, we get different things. I don't, I think that... Whatever they may think, we may think they mean, it's not necessarily what they mean because they do red speak. They so, do, so often. It, it, it's like, yeah, I mean, we, we saw how much Scotty and Howard are like um, like red. I mean, they, they do the same thing. They do the same threats. They have exactly the same modus operandi. It's almost like they come from the same exact book. 
Um, and that is a that is a pretty big thing when we look at uh, you know mythology because it gives you it gives you like the template to look at things. Or if you go past my crazy theory, I see Jen has crazy theories too every once in a while. Mine that they all work together and that they were all involved together in some crazy spy thing. Then that makes a lot of sense that they would be very similar in that. Yeah. Well, you have you have from points of contact that you cannot get away from is that Liz is Liz Scott, and probably she was Milhon because that's a father's name, and and Susan is Susan Scott. So that Scott there means something. Whether you know whether they're cousins, whether they are relatives, whether the mothers use you know posing as a sisters. Everything is possible, but if you can't ignore that little connection there. You also have that tantalizing birthday party. And for those of you who didn't notice, there is Kevin, there is little Christopher, there is another boy, and there are three girls. Two brunette girls, uh, one with a face to us and another one with her back to us, and an older blonde girl. Hello. Do we know anybody like that? Could it possibly be Jennifer? And Liz. Yeah, very possible. How crazy would that be? Because oh. there is, I mean, they've made so much about, we, this is the first time we met, we felt like family. And there is there is a little something when, when Liz describes meeting Tom, um, she describes like she went to a cafe, a friend set them up, she went to the cafe, she, there was a full of people and conversations and music and she saw him and there was this silence and the only people in the cafe were the two of them. And that is a pretty intense reaction, even for love at first sight. It, it almost, to me, speaks of something that, that tells you that person is somebody you know. So I, I think that there is a lot, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't take you guys so literal. I've learned my lesson. <laughs> so we're not saying that we distrust you. We're saying that we question everything. <laughs> we, we learn to look at other meanings of words and sentences and, and not go by the... Because a lot of people forget about clues because they they don't go for the actual phrase. They said, oh, but Red said this. That's not what Red said. Red said very specific thing and they're translating into what they think the Red said. Wrong. It, it goes back to the old phrase, yes, that's what you said, but that's not what you meant. And so, yeah, mm. that both the characters and the writers. And hey, kudos to you guys. You're good at it. So, but yeah, yeah I I don't think that they're quite as as separate in mythology as mm -mm. we are being led to believe. And that's I mean, that's fine. That's fine if they want to keep on that. I just I mean, until it it pans out on the screen. I'm not going to believe it personally. Um, and, and I love the fact that it looks like it's going to be deeply intertwined. I, that's a fantastic thing. It's, it's, the, it's one of the things about the blacklist that I love so much is how deeply threaded this mythology is through everything and how it just, I, I was talking about something, something earlier today. I said that I used to be really critical of the continuity in the Blacklist. My first year, year and a half in the fandom, I was super critical over it. I, I mean, I would go on tirades about how they need to make, how they need to hire someone strictly for continuity, that that was their only job, and I mean, I was just, I was harsh about it. 
And then last summer, I think it was, I went and did a full rewatch of seasons one through three. And I just, I had to readjust my view because it's not a continuity issue. It's a, we don't have all the pieces to the puzzle issue. And I was jumping to conclusions as are many in the fandom all the time. I mean, it's, it's what we do because we don't have all the pieces and it. It, they're very good at making it look like they're they're giving you a full puzzle, and then you realize there's a whole nother like half that you're missing, and you're going, wait, I didn't know that that wasn't there, and so it's yeah. great. It always keeps you guessing. It always keeps you excited. But I, I always I always find that the problem most people have with the continuity thing when people go into the into the tirades is there is. There's two ways of approaching a problem. One, it is saying when one of the sets of facts is, is correct and the other is incorrect, um, or one person is telling the truth, the other person is lying. There is another one, which is uh, not everybody knows everything. Red is not omniscient. However, he loves to make believe he is. So uh, on to characters. And let's start with Kevin. Poor guy. I, oh, I did yeah. not expect to lose him by the end of it. I actually kind of expected Tom to, you know, be able to chat with him a little bit and die. Yeah, yeah. So. It, it remind me of of Liz with Andropov. You yeah. know that scene when yeah. he's on the links on the ground. The yeah, links to the past and yes, losing dying it. on you. These people with these answers, they just keep dying. <laughs> Not that, not that I really think he would have had a lot of answers for for Tom. Um, Maybe it would have been like the rabbit, just getting some memories loose. There was and, something. I mean, this 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 look on on Tom's face when he said, "Oh, he was a friend of of Christopher." You know, it's like, "Oh, uh, I have friends." You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> look, look, friends that don't want to shoot me. Liz <laughs> yeah. yeah. will be so proud. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, how would that conversation even go? Babe, I had a friend. Really? That's so cool. And now he's dead. <laughs> you know, it's like, this poor guy. I think that they win. both know about about losing people that have answers for them. Yeah. Um, were you tipped off that he was a spy? Well, I didn't think he was entirely innocent when the first thing he did was trick his neighbor into letting him hide his laptop in her. <laughs> I mean, because... As a writer, I totally keep my laptop in my toilet, just, you know, when I'm not using it. <laughs> you know, it's totally a writer thing. <laughs> yep. I mean, he's a journalist, so it may be different. But, I, yeah, keeping it in the toilet and then going to the neighbor, hiding it. You know, it, it could have been something that had to do with his, his article. And I, you know, and I was like, eh, you know, he may be a spy. But as it kept going, I'm just going, I'm looking at the room and going, this dude's CIA. <laughs> like, even before they were like, you were with the CIA. I'm like, eh, CIA. And the second when he wrote, when he read that thing and he said, you know, it's all a lie. It's like, oh boy, yeah, you are so CIA. <laughs> this is not the first time we've had in the blacklist the father, the uh, priest in uh, in Rosalind Denisov that was not a priest. It was a CIA operative, Agent Burke. Um, and we've had a number of other CIA agents that are covert, including probably Mira. Because Mira spent her entire life as a covered agent. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we knew more about Mira. She's so cool. Uh, um, so uh, did, did you think it was predictable in a good or a bad way with Kevin? That, that it was kind of obvious? I, I think that people who are very conversant with the genre, 
will immediately pick that up. It's it's inevitable because everybody, I mean, it's like Jason Byrne, you know what's going to happen because if you're a fan of the movies, you know what's going to happen. If you're a casual viewer, you're probably, oh, wow, he was a spy, huh? Yeah. I mean, I, I, even Scotty didn't know. Yeah, and, and even the CIA director said, I, I just found that this more this afternoon. And, and, and we have seen a lot of that disconnect in the CIA, like Peter Kotsiopoulos was trying to do something that apparently nobody else knew about it. He's a cabal member, nobody knew about it. The CIA was trying to kill Red. Uh, they've been trying to do covert operations everywhere. So it's, it's, a, it's an uneasy relationship between the FBI and the CIA. Well, I think that's, at least in, in TV tropes, that's pretty normal. I have no idea what they're like in real life, but... Um... At least in TV tropes, CIA and FBI are frenemies at best. You know, they're on the same side, but they they don't usually get along. One of the things that would have been very interesting is if at the end they would have said, well, if we had known he was an agent, we would have gone about the rescue mission in a complete different way. Because then we would have sent someone to the apartment that was not connected with us, that had not been seen, like Ness, and retrieve the, 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 the laptop and the camera. I'm not entirely sure, and I don't remember the guy's name that she was talking to. I, I, the guy that she kept going back to, I'm blanking on his name, um, but that was in the government that told her to stand down. And, and I loved yeah, that the comment. CIA guy, yeah. I uh, know he wasn't CIA. He was, I think he was White House counsel. Um, oh, the, okay. Like but, uh, Baker. Yeah. Um, and Laurel, uh, Lauren, Laurel Hitchin? Laurel Hitchin. Um, she's White House counsel as well. Um, no, she is, um, Laurel Hitchin is an advisor. Oh, um, well, I mean, okay. But she's, she's up there with that group. Yeah. Regardless, um, I, I love that comment, you know, <laughs> so that you can't come back in a hearing and say that I was not clear. Let me tell you, stand down. <laughs> that was such a great, such a great line there. It said so much about Scotty, but I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced that he wasn't pulling a little bit of, um, was not expecting her to go in anyway. And he was using that. He was covering his own butt by saying, do not go in, do not go in, how dare you go in, making the phone calls to say, how dare you go in. But all the I while, think they he had to be knew. expected because if he broke down and said, sure, I am an agent and started giving them information and compromising a lot of other assets, um, you know, that was pretty uh, a pretty bad deal. So I think he was covering his own behind and at the same time he was, um, you know, expecting... Uh, Scotty to do exactly as well, she did. The, it works out perfectly for the government in that situation. You've got a private contractor that's government sanctioned. They've got the resources to go in. You tell them, don't do this. I know this is personal for you, but don't do this. And so if it goes badly, their butts are covered. If they go in and it goes well, well, you know, they are government sanctioned. It, it's a win-win for the government on that. Mm -hmm. And they get their intel. Yeah. And so I, I personally think it was a little... <laughs> That's the same thing they said about Anna Copeland. You know, they already issued a burn order. You know, like we disavowed you, and you're on your own, and that's it. And we just take everything down that you could have possibly known. But that's the entire point of Halcyon, or for the Gray Matters Division anyway, is that they go do the things that the government can't be caught doing. So, yeah. but they're 
that's why Panna Baker met with Scotty so under the radar in season three. I mean, mm-hmm. it took Tom going in with a camera and following following Panna Baker to, to see them meeting. They, you know, sometimes they can meet in the open, sometimes they can't. Depends on what they're discussing, probably. Mm-hmm. And so, How about Scotty? Oh, I... I love Scotty. I don't trust her, but I do love her. It was such an interesting episode for her. With It was so deeply emotional. And oh my gosh, Fomka's amazing. Like, I mean, I, I've always liked her really well. I, I'm a big X-Men fan, so I loved her as Jean Grey. And I mean, she, she will forever be Jean Grey in my heart. Um, <laughs> but she was just fantastic in this the the emotions that went with it it's it was almost like losing christopher all over again for her Mm -hmm, exactly and i loved her you know you got to see her outside of the office you know she's she was talking to a lot you know a longtime friend the mother of of a I mean, you kind of get the impression she's, whether it was official or not, I mean, she was basically like a godmother to, I mean, she was Aunt Scotty. And mm-hmm. so, uh, it was really cool, and it was really awesome to see that. And then, that video, the, the two videos that she watched, and I have a feeling that's how they're going to do a lot of their flashback stuff, is her with her videos, her home videos. The first one of, uh, of Kevin riding his bike. It's oh, that just, was sweet. Oh, it was so sweet. And then you see the birthday party later, and it's just... And you, you got, uh, remember how in Red's home movie we had Bubble Girl waving to him? And we had here Christopher waving to her. So uh, that was like a, mommy. Yeah. Uh, a nice parallel there. Yeah. Um, do you it, think it was she... a very emotional, a very emotional. Famke was a, a spectacular episode for to showcase her abilities. Oh, absolutely. And, and because Scotty is is very difficult to read because she she does give a different story to everybody. <laughs> like, I don't think we've heard her tell the same story twice. Um, and so to see her in those moments when she's so emotionally compromised, we, we saw that also when the lawyers left her alone with the death certificate. Mm-hmm. And because up until that, I was kind of in the pilot episode, I'm going... Is she saying that she misses her son? I wonder if she really did something. You know? <laughs> like, my brain went there and until we saw her signing the death certificate and the fact that she didn't have any eyes on her and she was still, you know. Yeah. And that's that's one of those things that with Tom in season one, and, and I've mentioned before in the podcast that I actually came into The Blacklist when it was airing season two, but... I, I was not aware of what was going on with Tom, just that there was. And my statement was, until we found out more about where Tom came from and everything, that one of the biggest things for me that told me that he loved Liz before he came back from Dresden and everything was the fact that when he was alone in the house with no eyes on him, he did things for her. They were, and they he were, was mad at her when she yeah, you know, he, stood he, him up or something. Yeah, like. he was hurt. He was, you know, happy for her. He was sad for her. He, you know, it, he wasn't putting on a show for anybody. It was just him. There was nobody to show. And that's how Scotty was, sitting there with that death certificate. And and she had no one to put a show on for. And yet, so those are going to be the real emotions that you see. I, I think I, she. I, I read Scotty as somebody who 
she is so strong and as Red said, so ruthless. A lot of the people that I know that are that strong, they actually use what we see as weaknesses and expose them because exposing a weakness openly gives you a control over it. Yeah. And and that is, I think that that's what she does with that extreme weakness of her. So I'm not convinced that she didn't have something to do. I'm not convinced that the truth is very complicated towards um, Christopher's disappearance. But definitely Scotty and Howard are were devastated and her their entire life was... Uh, change modified by this event no i agree i i definitely agree with that and so i just i thought it was an excellent episode for her just cementing that that just the real human side of scotty and the real personal side of scotty especially because we do see her as the head of halcyon most of the time you know and here we Uh saw we saw aunt scotty you know yeah and so do you think she knows about tom I am not sure. I am tending towards no, but I'm in a 50-40, in a, in a 60-40 split now. You know, 60 that she does and 40 that she does. Um, she's a very, very hard to read uh, character, which I love. I mean, she has to be. Yeah. I I agree. I, I tend towards the fact she doesn't know. Um some of that comes from from various interviews I've heard Fomka give saying stuff about, you know, when she finds out she's going to be really hurt and stuff like that. And I think that probably sways me quite a bit. But mm-hmm. overall, I and especially this episode, I felt like she really didn't know. And I, I feel like there would have been more signs towards Tom if she did. Um, I, I personally wonder if she's gonna find out that he's undercover for Howard long before she or not long before because it's eight episodes long but yeah. you know it, before she she's gonna find out he's an undercover operative inside her organization working for her husband who's not dead before she finds out that he's her son I, I do wonder how that's going to to play out and I have a feeling about it though how is that gonna play out I think it is because they're going to go into her house into their house, into Liz and Tom, and they're going to see the box. I do hope the box comes back. <laughs> I do love that. I, I think that that's, that, because that, I mean, the more I think about it, I don't think that the scar is connected. I mean, I know that they've been said things in interviews, but I count canon as what airs in the show. You said it once, and it was very well said. If it doesn't air in the show, it's not canon. Um, and I, I think that... Yes, it may be similar, but it's not the same. However, the envelope in the box with the little dots, that's the same. So I think that that was something taken with Tom. Or maybe, you know, maybe if somebody took him and left him somewhere for safekeeping, that came, that went with him. Something of the sort. Just because a major, when the major picked him up, he didn't have anything, doesn't mean that he didn't. They didn't go back to pick up the things that he owned. I was gonna say because he's gotta have. He's good at hiding things because he was kept on the boat with Liz for four months, and yet somehow still went back for his wallet afterwards that had the the uh, ultrasound in it. And yeah. so I mean, he stores things away like a 
chipmunk. I mean, <laughs> I just imagine he's got all these little drop places all over, like every well, city. Remember he goes red, to. red, and the and yeah. the and the storage units, and you know, if they were both trained by Bud, that's probably a standard procedure. You got a lot of storing places where you put money, probably in different countries, even. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I imagine so. And so, I mean, I don't think Tom's got it on that scale, but and he may not even have it anymore, but I, I have a feeling that he did for a while at least, uh, up until he came back and tried for the normal life with Liz. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it, the pilot for Redemption, you you could tell with the fact that he was going and applying for, for teaching jobs all over again, and that he was, he was done looking into this, he was going to focus on his normal life, he was going, he was going, nope, no normal life for you, Tom. Just stop trying. <laughs> some people, some people are not meant for that. I mean, it's like that is like Liz. I mean, why doesn't she stop being an agent? It's a different. They, they've got to find their brand of normal. I think that's the key. Is that it's not that they don't get their normal. It's that they're not going to get a picket fence, like John said one time. Yeah, unless a picket fence comes with a tower with machine guns and you know snipers, guards. yeah, and guards, yeah, and um, grenades. Yeah, but, they, you know, um, but. It's, it's their version of normal versus the American dream version of normal. And mm-hmm. so they it's who they are. It's what they are at their core. And they would both get so bored. because And something interesting I found that we found out last week on Redemption is that Tom was running ops at least off and on through his first marriage with Liz, which I did not think was happening. And so that's one thing I'm having to readjust now because in 2012, he did the op with Anna. And, and remember, that's when the passport under Pierre Louis Anton was marked, mm-hmm. and Liz, and he was going to Paris, and we think he was just going to Paris, but we don't know. That was in 2010. No, that had no. been no, no, because well, I mean, there might have been a, a trip to Paris, but his his they got married 2010. So. Oh, that's right. That is that is the yeah. bachelor party. Yeah, that was the bachelor party. So regardless, regardless, yeah. he has a bunch of passports, a lot of stuff in them. And so he was doing stuff. And the funny thing is, I don't think that is that they, he was doing them for Bill McCready. Because Bill McCready tells, tells the Malaysian minister, um, you know, once inside, no contact. And so he wouldn't have been sending Tom, you know, in a big contract like that. He wouldn't be sending Tom where he can get killed or, or maimed or something. It would have been... I bet that this is the CIA, you know, contacting him directly and saying, we need this guy. I, yeah, it's it's going to take it being on screen for me to believe that one. <laughs> I cracked someone up. I don't remember who it was. Uh, someone, someone said they were listening to me last week <laughs> and how I was just so adamantly against the CIA. <laughs> she was, apparently I cracked someone up with how adamantly I'm against it. <laughs> so I was just like, nope. Nope, not believing it. Nope. And I said, yeah, that's pretty much what I said. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. That's accurate. <laughs> that's how I reacted. <laughs> so. Oh, it was, it was, uh, you had said something. I said, don't care. Nope. <laughs> yep. I know. I know. There are a few things that you are still, you know, there are other things you've started to consider, which is pretty good. I mean, my theories are pretty wild. And, um, but I mean, that, that is a no for you. Everybody get their no's. So we'll see. Okay. We'll see and then some you know, what'll happen will happen on screen and one of us will be right, one of us will be wrong, or we'll both be we'll wrong. Both, be right. or yeah. both we'll of us both a little right. right. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about that emotional roller coaster of Tom? This was a very different Tom. I, 
it is and it isn't. And that's, I love this. I love this so much. Okay, so one of the things that I found absolutely fascinating digging into Tom's character, looking back into season one and into season two, is how he reacts under pressure. Because regularly, under regular pressure, when he's in the field, when he's got a gun to his head, he is smooth as they come. You know, a pilot episode for last week for Redemption. Scotty's going, you've got to pack it up. They're coming down there. And he's just like, all right, still clicking on his, you know, getting the information, not dropping a sweat. He's totally fine. You know, walks back up and he's like, I got it. Of course I got it, you know. And, but if you were to put him in a situation like season one in the finale, he was in a horrible situation in which Liz was in danger, everything. And so he makes a stupid decision and ends up kidnapping Liz at gunpoint. And it ends up being a stupid decision because he gets gut shot and kept for four months on, on a boat. I mean, regardless yeah. on if he had any other options or not, he probably should have found one. Um, but I doubt there was one. When, when he is emotionally compromised with something close to him that means something to him personally, and that's a fairly small, you know, bit of, uh, you know, that mm-hmm. could actually affect him that strongly emotionally he reacts very differently Mm -hmm. it's it's a much more emotional reaction than he gives so this is something even though he doesn't seem to remember kevin he's a link to the past he's something incredibly close whether he could have gotten answers whether it could have just been somebody he could have gotten to know that he had once known regardless a link to me is a link to the to reconnecting with a time when he was wanted and loved and safe. Yes, and it's almost like it's proof that this is true, because he can't remember any of this. He can't remember being loved, and so it's like Kevin is living proof because he knew him during that time, and and it's someone that's not Scotty or Howard. You know, that could be lying to him. <laughs> Yeah. It's a uh, friend too. It's a friend. It's a is a it's a peer. It's somebody that, you know, he you know, probably playing the beach with. Something that made him normal instead of the operative. It, yeah. It's it's a link to the humanity, not to the operative. And and so I think that that's why he had such a dramatic response to it. it it's very in character for Tom, actually. Well, he had very interesting reaction. He had that that uh, reaction when he sees what uh, uh, Dumont has, for, you know, for the truck, and that oh, is. Oh, I loved so- it. <laughs> he's so excited because you see him kind of peek around, and he's he's so stoic in this because he's got so many secrets that he's keeping that he just he's not letting anybody anywhere close to him on this team. And, but he kind of peeks around to see, you know, how this whole thing is set up. And you see that little grin of his, like, oh, this is clever. I like clever, yeah. <laughs> you know, and he comes well, back you, around. We've seen that before when when Aram realizes that he already got half of the of the thing with the radios mm-hmm. figured out and all that. So he's he's really a, a good tech guy, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a limited way. He's not Dumont, he's not Aram, but he is definitely conversant with it. Yeah, you know, go with the high intelligence that the major or the worst would never have got him. Exactly. 
the audition on the other hand that was hilarious Gosh, the audition. <laughs> okay, so I could not watch it the first time or the second time or go through. I just put a gift post online earlier tonight when we were recording this on Friday night. Of this. I, I couldn't even gif it without cracking up through the whole thing. I'm just uh, the guy that played the the proud papa. <laughs> he's been on everything. He was on Stargate. He was on Once Upon a Time. Yeah. I, I've seen him on so many things. We joke that he's on everything. And, and so when he popped up here, I was like, oh, I love him. And then that happened. And Tom just got this look like, what's happening here? <laughs> yeah. And then he turns around and says, oh, that's great. And, and applause. And he's like, yep, that's what he's doing. He has to get the job done. So that's what he's doing. But everything's just a little bit delayed. And that's my favorite part of it. It's like, oh, I'm supposed to be reacting here. Clap. Yay, smile. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's a convincing smile, but it's just a smidge delayed. And then that yeah. look he gives when the guy's turning away and he's just going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> but um, It's also interesting what he does when he's the one that, because Solomon and Nez are like, are you crazy? This guy went back. And, and Tom gets it, which puts a very different separation between the kind of agent that, that Tom is and the kind of agent that Ness and Solomon are, which brings you to Solomon and Ness are really mercenaries. They go where the money is. So I do think that Tom is not a mercenary. He always went where it was either challenging or fun or... He felt that, you know, that's where he had to go to make it, to make himself better. But that he preferred things that meant something. Well, I mean, he made the comment in season three of the regular show. He said, you know, um, what was the line? It was, uh, we, we don't help. Um, we don't, we don't pull people up. We, 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 we watch, uh, them, watch drown. them drown. And I'm tired of hurting people, Gina. Yeah. And so I, I do think that he got into St. Regis with this idea that he was going to be a James Bond. The, the, you know, and I think sometimes he was. You know, I, I do think that sometimes that he was very... He, I mean, his his goal of being with Liz was to protect her. Yeah, and, and he was uh, with, the, with the Germans to find out who murdered um, uh, Sarah Hastings. And he was... Uh, and, and most of the stuff that he had done is either information gathering or protecting. I'm sure that he has been hired to kill, but why hire him? He's a top operative to kill. Yeah. You know? Hire someone like Matthias Solomon who can get the information through <laughs> enhanced interrogation and then, you know, probably never see you again. Um, but, yeah, I, I love the quote uh, that, that he – what he said when they're in the car. He said, a guy, a guy risks his life because the work needs doing. I'm not saying that it was right uh, – I'm not saying he was right to go, but I get it. And all I could think right there was that he was talking, yes, he was talking about Kevin Jensen, but he was also talking about himself. The work needed doing. Tom was the only one that can go in. He was the only one that Howard could go to, to send into Halcyon to see if Scotty is as terrible as Howard's afraid she is. He's the only one that could do it. He was the only one that Howard trusts. And so the work needed doing and even though it might or might not have been the right decision, he went. And and so he does get that on a very, very deep level. And I, 
I think that it really, especially when he found out that, <laughs> that Kevin was an operative, <laughs> wouldn't that have been amazing if it came out that he was an operative and he had lived and he was stationed back in D.C. and Tom's just like, ah, oh, you know, be my friend again, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think that, that that also was a very interesting thing for me, the fact that even with his operatives, Kevin didn't say that he was an operative because had he said it, they would have approached the whole thing very differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were treating him as the, as you know, they, they, it would have made a lot of sense for them what he was doing. And they would have probably helped him in plan the mission different. So I think it was an excellent way of putting something that it's true of a blacklist and I think it's going to be true of redemption, that sometimes secrets meant to protect end up being the ones that hurt. Yeah. Well, I don't think that Kevin knew who to trust. I mean, he didn't know Solomon or Nez, and he didn't know that he knew Tom. I mean, these are just, to him, they were three strangers sent over. I mean, okay, so they're from Halcyon. What if they just were saying they were from Halcyon? I mean, yes, they were helping him, but... How was he to know that they were? Oh, not him, but but the upper ups. If they had said, "Listen, okay, so he's an operative, mm-hmm. and you go in, we have complete deniability, and see if you can get him out." Yeah. That would have been a better way to deal with it than what they did. Oh, and yeah. I think it's, it's typical. That's why Red says when he meets Mira, you know, attracted by treacherous. Mm-hmm. You know, and they always trying to kill him, and they give the order to kill him in Russland, then he's off. And you know, the CIA is always after Red. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people are always after Red. <laughs> so, Solomon, moving on to Solomon. Um, how did you how did you feel about that whole, ins- I mean, it wasn't the, the last scene, but that scene when Kevin died and Tom's, Tom's uh, fixation on that and Solomon was the one to pull him back. Because it was interesting, Nez kind of gives him this look, like, are you going to do something about this? I have a feeling that Ness is really not an emotional person. Um, I think she has had some reactions to children that are emotional, but in general, she seems, you know, fairly cold and and uh, and clear-minded. She's mm-hmm. not really an emotional operative, which is probably why she's alive and she's so good. I was gonna say she's very good, <laughs> yeah. but no, I I agree, and that's kind of I mean, because like when. When he died, you looked at her, the the camera panned in on her, and she looked struck by it. But, I mean, she wasn't going to go full meltdown like Tom did. I mean, and I I I think think that kind of threw her. I I think there is is a twofold there. There is a one that they're, as operative, they're not really used to failing. Yeah. They're, They're an elite unit. You know, they only get the top cases. They're not used to failing. They're used that if they tell them, go and get this guy alive, you go get that guy alive no matter what. And the second thing is, I think they both have had in the past, him and Solomon and and possibly Tom too, people that they worked in the field and they have died. So I think it is very much something that they all know what it feels like. 
and I, I went back to Liz in Andropov because Andropov had answers. And in a way, Kevin may not have had answers, but maybe he could have interrogated him about Christopher or, or yeah. found some answers or, or a link to the past. So I think for Tommy, it was a double or a triple whammy. He had failed in a mission. He had failed in a mission that was personal to him, that was personal to his mother, because I think that he's starting to care about his mother. Oh, I think so. And, and and then there was an issue that it was a link to the past dying. So it, it was, you know, for, from any point you look at it, it was very, very hard. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought it was an interesting choice to have Solomon be the one to pull him around. I, I didn't see it as out of character because I saw it as, this was just my personal view of it. Solomon saw what was happening. He knew what was happening. And he reacted in the way that was going to quickly bring Tom back down to the normal level mm -hmm. and bring him and not allow him to spiral any further. If he had just, you know, cuffed him on the back of the head and said, pull it together, dude, that wouldn't have worked. That wouldn't, you know, a snarky comment at the time would not have worked. He grabbed him by the face, kind of shook him a little and said, stop. Like, you can't hear Eddie's voice at the point, but, you know, it's blatantly obvious if you, you know, I can't read lips very yeah. well, but I mean, you can read that. And, and just pulls him and looks him straight in the face and goes, stop. And I, I think that it was more just Solomon knowing how to read people. Well, it, it makes sense. And, and also, I mean, Solomon is not a monster. He may be a very good evil guy, but he's... <laughs> I never saw him as a monster because just because he said he had given poison to the granddaughter, it doesn't mean he did. He, I know. He doesn't need to. By the I way, mean, by the way, I worked that into a story the other day. I it didn't, I didn't like blatantly say it, but I was thinking of you as I was working on that part of the story. I mean, like, he, he has such reputation that he doesn't even need to do things anymore. I, and I kind of hope that they approach that because honestly... It was so funny when I was doing my rewatch today. I was, I was sitting there watching it, and I realized that in my head I've been referring to him as Matthias. I'm going, no, no, stop, Jen, stop. <laughs> I'm trying to put the brakes on. <laughs> I'm starting to warm to this man, and if he really did poison a child, I don't want to warm to this man. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I, I don't think he did. I never thought he did. You know, I, at first I thought, oh, my God, what a horrible And then I started thinking about it and saying, you know, there was no need because he knew Dembe was going to go in and he knew that. And, and we never even said, oh, yeah, well, your grand, your, your daughter received the visit. And they, no, oh, she received the vaccine. No explanation. Yeah. So to me, that is kind of like, yeah, you know what? I don't believe you. And um, I, I never saw... Solomon as a monster. I saw him as a guy that is a very good operative. He has an enormous capacity for violence. But hello, we I got a lot of characters in the show that have an enormous capacity for violence. Welcome to the blacklist. You know? yeah. And uh, so, I mean, it's not it's not that, you know, he's I think he like he, like Red needs to be thought of as omniscient and um, and uh, infallible. Solomon needs to be thought of as so cruel and so horrible that, you know, everybody abhors him. But I think that there is humanity there, and I think we might start to see it. 
Oh, I, I definitely think so. Because, I mean, otherwise, why would you ever want to cheer for him? I mean, I, I don't know if you're a comic book fan or anything, but uh, they, they came out with a movie... I think last year, it was called Suicide Squad. It was about a lot of the DC villains banding together and basically saving the world. And these horrible villains that you love to hate in the comic books, there's still massively redeeming qualities within them that you because you have to be... People won't connect with them otherwise. If they're just straight-up monsters, you're never going to connect well with them and you're not going to want to cheer for them. Solomon's on the more or less the good side here. So he's going to have to have redeeming qualities or people won't care. You know, then he'll get a bolt in the head and people go, okay. You know, I mean, Red's, he's an anti-hero. But, I mean, like, Red has hugely redeeming qualities. Tom's an anti-hero, hugely redeeming qualities. If they're going to make Solomon into an anti-hero, he's going to have to have those redeeming qualities. And, Even and if I they're, think that they, if they're very um, hidden. Yeah. Oh, and I don't think he wants people to see them. <laughs> Agreed. I, I, and that's, that's why I've been so hesitant. I've had people ask me if I want him to be, you know, redeemed, if I want a redemption arc for him. And my immediate reaction was, no, he poisoned a child. Absolutely not. And I thought, you know, it's the blacklist. Like you've been saying, twists and turns, not everything's always as it seems. And I'm going to withhold judgment on if I want a redemption arc for him or not until I see the redemption arc. Because... They have so much they haven't tapped into with his character. Because for as much screen time as Solomon has had all through season three and into season... Uh, no, it was he was just in season three. Um, for all the screen time that he had, we found very, very... In fact, no, no, we, we found out a little bit personal about him in his past, but not a lot. Mm-mm. I mean, we don't know any more than the government does, I don't think. <laughs> you know? And it's, I will be very excited to see that pan out in Redemption over the next mm-hmm. six episodes. Yeah, I, I think I think that I, I don't have such a dark view. I used to until I realized, did he really even need to poison the, the girl or he just needed to say? And then I said, honestly, he didn't even need to. And I hope it's you're like, right. Said, I, I 100% hope you're right. I, I just don't want to put my heart on it yet. <laughs> I mean, look at the things Red does. He makes believe that he lets Liz believe that he killed Emma because that is, you know, what is needed for what he wants to do. He lets Liz believe that, um, he lets uh, Isabella Stone at first believe that, you know, the husband is dead and then says, I'm I'm not going to let you see him because you became a monster. Um, so I think that, that, you know, there is a lot to be said about that. Now, t- talk to me about Ness. One of the questions... She's hard to read, that she woman. She is. And I, I keep waiting for, you know, the sledgehammer to crack down and open something up for us. And I think it's going to take a sledgehammer. <laughs> I, I want to know what the little lightning bolt is on her wrist. Uh-huh. Because that's not new. Uh, I don't know if it's actually Tawny's. It may be Tawny's. I have no idea. Because Ryan, we've seen Ryan's lions on his back before. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I'm, I'm curious about that. I'm curious about, because I, I heard her in an interview say that that Nez was over, I think, in the Middle East. I mean, you know, in war. So I would assume in the Middle East. And that she felt like she should have died over there and she's living on borrowed time. 
And so I'm really curious to to hear her story and why she got out of the Navy, why she went basically rogue. I mean, she has to be just an off-the-charts intelligent human being. She's a weapons specialist. I mean, complete and total badass. Solomon has said that she could kick his ass, which cracks me up. And by the way, those two have such a repertoire between them. I, I there's I, I guess it comes from the fact that they worked together before Tom came in. Mm-hmm. But you don't see that kind of connection with Dumont. You, it's just between the two of them. It, they work very well together, and I, I love that. <laughs> um, that little comment by Solomon when they thought that their covers were blown in the airport, mm-hmm. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, they got the plans immediately. Like, okay, you go that. She had the, yeah. the weapons in her. Oh, and I love there. that. It just she starts pulling that out, and I'm going, thank you. That's awesome. A, a friend of mine and I that we used to write together that she had um, she had a character that had weapons like that. And it was just, it was fantastic. Yeah, she, um, she's, she's a real badass. And, and, and she's, you know, I think that we're going to see a few um, character development things. You're going to see that she has a point where she's, where she's very vulnerable. But I think in general, I mean, I think that that's a survivor's guilt uh, complex. They they think that they should have died, so they really don't care. And I think that yeah. that's why she took the mission. I don't think it was out of loyalty or anything. It's like, she's in, and, you know, she, she should have died, so she takes whatever. And yeah. she figures out, if it's my time to die, I'll die. Uh, do you think Solomon's loyal? I am starting to think that he is for all he professes to go to the highest bidder i think that i mean solomon was so cool when he thought that he was going to be killed you know and he says run and he says nope and you know it's it's this utter lack of concern and and i also think that there is some similar story to ness that he's unconcerned if he dies or not um so I don't know that his loyalty or is that that's what he does. That's what he loves to do. And he just does. And, and I think that, that Scotty commands his loyalty because Scotty is smart and gets some missions that yeah. appeal to him. Yeah, I, I think she's loyal to them. And so, I mean, we, we saw a piece of that last week when she's walking Tom and she goes, Matthias Solomon, he's one of my best, and you shot him. I've already spoken to him about this. Like, she cleared it with her employee before bringing Tom in. I mean, that's kind of big. Well, I think it was like, okay, you're going to be a good boy with him. I mean, you did shoot his wedding. Um, so Yeah, you know. on Scotty's Sorry. order. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, granted, I, I, granted, I don't know how detailed Scotty... Maybe Scotty gives a little more detailed orders to Solomon these days. Okay, you're not allowed to commit, like, mass atrocities. Stop killing civilians. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I never got quite the feeling that that, that was what, what Scotty wanted. I think he was um, using it to kind of clear some of his pending matters. Yeah, um, and, and I wonder if those operatives that Solomon used during that whole spiel, uh, during the wedding fiasco, mm-hmm. because it was really interesting. It, they had no connection to Halcyon. They couldn't... Oh, and, yeah, and, they did. They did, because well, that's what they, they tracked them to the... Yeah, but it was only through the earpiece. It was through the earpiece. 
the individual himself, they thought he died over in the Middle East. And one of those little lovely things that you um, put on the, um, that you posted about Halcyon, it does say that they've been the biggest hires of veterans. Yeah. So people who are so messed up that for them going to the civilian life is just beyond well, their it's not, natural. It's not even messed up. Like, I've got buddies in the military that when I, you know, whenever their their contract comes up and they talk about getting out, they're like, what would I do? You know, this is the life I live. This is what I do. I Yeah, you know, but that guy left the wife, became yeah. like he had died and, and was an operative. So I think that those are like the perfect operatives for them. They give them a life that they like and and they probably provide for their wives and that's it. Which I think is fascinating because I bet Tom is an oddity. I bet Tom is very much an oddity in there, that he has a family at home. He has a wife, a child. Now, I doubt he broadcasts that, but, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of find it entertaining to think about if he would be the rumored person around the office. You know, Oh, there's the dude with the wife. You know? Well, especially if it turns out that Scotty is really an undercover operative. And she has been just running the longest um, undercover op for a long time. You know, because Howard does say that she, you know, targeted him, has been using him. So, you know, there is a possibility that Scotty just, that was the name. And like Tom, she just kept it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what she's been doing. Or she hasn't completed the op, so she's still doing it. Yep. What do you think about Dumont? I love Dumont. Yeah, again, use a tasty. I love that tasty. That's his thing now. Yeah. Adrian's been using it over on Twitter too. It cracks yeah. me up. It's just funny because he's like, you know, he's like a kid when he like tells him, you know, about the uh, the cloak of invisibility and all that. It's just so much fun. He's like a kid. Is you know, it's it's a uh, it's like a ram light because it doesn't have the same um, vulnerability as a ma- as a ram, but he definitely. Uh, but he also has that little bit of kid like wonder about things yeah i and i think we're gonna find out a lot more about him i think he's probably a whole lot deeper than even just that i and that's that's one of the things i got out of the interviews listen that they released right before the the pilot episode was that every every one of the main cast is incredibly deeply layered and i don't remember if it was famka talking about that one one of them was talking about how deeply layered every character is it might have been ryan and I was just like, yes, thank you. <laughs> and I yeah, think that's one of the things I like about it, you know. We see a lot of that when, when Dumont is, is, you know, presented with a six-digit code. And, and he is, like, terrified. You see his eyes. He's like, I'm going to fail them. Yeah. I, it's going to be on me that I couldn't get yeah, them they're, out. Yeah, they're going and, to get shot, and no. it's going to be my fault. Yeah. And then yeah. Ness comes and does a wrestler on the door. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> How are you gonna I, break this? I love I that. This. I'm the sixth digit. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, I'll just rip the door out. Oh, yes, I love wrestler. her. I actually liked the mayor wrestler because at first when they introduced her, is it? I, I don't know if it was her or it was supposed to be Elise. It was supposed to be a love interest for one of the post office, or maybe it was Elise. But I thought, oh yeah. Tell you what, I mean, she and wrestler could actually have a really, I mean, they have kind of like the same mindset. It was interesting because I'm not a, a shipper, but hey, you know, that bad I want, I could see working. Of course, she's in the law. He's in the law. She's definitely not in the law. 
<laughs> I, I still love the idea you've talked about, about working all of them together and having them liaison with the, the post office. It just, I mean, they're going to have to do something because if they're, if they're officing out of New York, I mean, poor Tom. What, is he flying the private jet back home? <laughs> you know? Probably. He'd probably have a, a, a helicopter bring him. <gasps> that would that would be awesome. Um, now, I mean, just, once Scotty finds getting... out who he is, sure. But, like, right now is just an operative. I could still see oh, yeah. them doing it. I, I think they would. I think they would. I I could see it. Because, he's, I mean, he's like, probably, he said, hey, pal, I got my, I got my family, and if you want, I, I'll work for you. But, you know, I imagine their salaries are also, you know, in the seven figures. Yeah, I, I have a feeling they they get paid pretty well. I just, I've got this mental image of, you know, Tom going back, babe, we're set. <laughs> well, also, he, he probably knew it because he was the highest paid, oh, yeah. the best operative for the major. So he probably knew, I mean, considering he, he lasted all that long without working after, you know, in season three, that probably means that even though Liz took a big bunch of it, he still probably had money because Liz went and found the, the corporations where he had money and took it all. We never knew if Liz actually took it and kept it, or she donated to charity, or. <laughs> this is what I'm did. getting in the divorce. <laughs> uh, who knows? Maybe she just kept it in there for a rainy day. I mean, Liz is not exactly Miss Miss Law. However, she likes to appear like she is. Oh, excuse me. So um, I think that that pretty much wraps up. Do you have anything to say? I don't. It was it was a great episode. Um, like I said, second round through, I liked it a whole lot better. I don't know if I was just in a mood last night when it was on or what the deal was, but I think when you're expecting, they also had a scene that they caught when uh, when um, they probably put in another episode where Scotty tasks out Solomon in finding out about her son. Um, so I think that that also kind of like got you thinking, oh, I'm going to get something. And I, I do think that we got mythology. It's just not apparent. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And that, and I think when when I realized that there was some in there, I felt a lot better. Like, it's it's an emotional reaction. I'm willing to admit that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so some, of them, some of them are going to be very different from the blacklist. They have to be. And some of them are not going to be that obvious for people who are not – fans of the genre and for those who are fans of the genre it's gonna feel like oh my god they did it again yeah but that's because you've seen you know 1500 movies like that there's yeah. only so much people can do so i think that you know all in all i loved it and i'm just looking forward to next episode yeah and so um that that about wraps us up then you can catch us on where we're posted on youtube soundcloud and itunes you can leave us messages on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. And we'd love to hear back from you guys. We love chatter and conversation. And and uh, a few people sent in theories last time, last week. And so those are fun. If you have theories, if you have ideas where you think it's going, where you'd like it to go, share theories with us. We love that stuff. Yeah, maybe we can even go next, uh, next week um, when I'm not feeling like um, my head is a few feet above me. Um, and we can discuss some of them. Yeah. That would yeah. be fun. All right. Until next week, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.